1: Oh, thank you so much, Sonia, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Cancer and Flu Shots, and today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and the National Minority Equality Forum, and I really want to thank them for their partnership with us on this program, and I think it's going to be a very important one moving forward as well, Um, and today's program is supported by the National Minority Equality Forum and the Diana, Diana Napoli Fund. Now we have a lot of you on the program today. Um there are over 254 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States from both urban, rural and suburban areas. And we also have international participants today from Canada. Egypt, Iraq, Israel, Philippines, Poland, Trinidad, Turkey, and the United Kingdom. So it's a bit of a global call as well. And it's a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. This is a very important topic and could not be more timely given the time of year and also just the issues that people are struggling with right now about learning about this. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, I'm going to ask you just four brief questions, and for those of you who are live streaming, you'll be able to see the questions, and so I'm going to read the question, and they're yes-no questions, so they take just a very little bit of time to complete. The first question is, I understand the importance of flu vaccines for people living with cancer, and either yes or no. And the second question is, I know the benefits of flu shots in the context of COVID-19, yes or no? And the third question is, I know why flu vaccine equity has never been more important for people living with cancer, yes or no? And the last question, I understand the importance of taking my flu shot on schedule, yes or no. I want to thank you all for participating in these brief questions. It helps us to know what you know coming into the program, so I really appreciate your participating in this, uh, these questions. And now I want you to see our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Michael Vong. Dr. Wong is Professor of Cutaneous Cancers, Medical Oncology, Executive Director, Integration and Program Development, Cancer Network, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing an overview of flu vaccines and cancer in the context of COVID-19 and important questions to ask your healthcare team about flu shots. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Wong.
2: Thank you very much, Dr. Mesner. It's an honor and privilege to be with you today and to be on a, a list of speakers that includes Dr. Hopkins, Hall, and Fleischman. My hope is to speak to you today and sort of set the, 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 the uh, sort of thinking about uh, flu vaccine and, and really to uh, the sort of introduction to what you're gonna hear further on. So I'm gonna talk about what's, what is a vaccine, what is a flu vaccine, pr- what's the purpose of the vaccine, And uh, you know the uh, the vaccine and cancer patients, and maybe one or two words about the difference between this vaccine and and COVID 19. So what is a vaccine? A vaccine is a substance used to stimulate uh, the body's immune system uh, against one or several diseases, and that's a general term because vaccines can be injected, can be ingested, can be inhaled. Uh, But this particular flu vaccine, I'm going to focus my comments on the injected. Uh, uh, vaccine that we have available to us. What exactly is the flu vaccine? Well, it, it, is, a, uh, it is composed primarily of what we call antigens. What are antigens? Antigens are uh, substances that your body's immune system will react against. Your body doesn't react against everything, but you, whatever you react against is called an antigen. So these antigens are derived from strains of uh, the influenza virus that are anticipated to cause uh, the, the disease, influenza, this coming year. Um, uh, who should get it? Uh, you know, the, the folks that should get it are highly recommended are individuals over age of 65 or older, and their priority really is those individuals, uh, and uh, like the CDC says in their priority list, children aged uh, six, months to four years, Uh, individuals with chronic diseases such as uh, immunosuppression, uh, breathing diseases such as chronic pulmonary uh, uh, diseases including asthma, individuals with cardiovascular disease, uh, impairment of renal hepatic function uh, or metabolic disorders including diabetes. uh, Women who are pregnant during influenza season and up to two weeks after delivery also on the list of priority for getting the vaccine. Individuals who are residents of nursing homes and other long care facilities or if you work in such facilities uh, are, uh, or should think about getting the vaccine. Healthcare personnel or individuals who are in contact with or looking after individuals who have uh, the disease I mentioned before or immunosuppressive diseases should also think of getting the vaccine. So why do this? Why is, is this flu vaccine so important? There's a, a numerous studies going back many many years now, decades to be exact, shows that it reduces the risk of the, the flu illness directly, hospitalization, and and de- and most importantly, death from influenza, in individuals who, uh, for any reason, who actually catch the uh, uh, influenza while after having had the vaccine, uh, uh, those individuals have a milder form of disease and have less chance of ending up in hospital. The flu vaccines help protect women during and after pregnancy, and it can be life-saving in children. We, that, that, and these are all from studies in which we look at individuals, uh, populations, that is, who've had the vaccine. One of the most important questions that my patients ask me is, doctor, can I catch the flu from the flu vaccine? It's important to realize that the injectable form of flu vaccine can, does, not, does not contain any active biologic agents. They are proteins, essentially. Uh, and these proteins uh, uh, called antigens, which I spoke to before, are designed to evoke an immune response in your body against the vaccine. So you're not injected with a live uh, 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 biologic agent. It cannot cause the actual influenza disease in those individuals who get the vaccine. So having said that, you know, uh, why cancer patients? Well, there's always been a suspicion that cancer patients are higher risk from uh, influenza, and that's proven to be true, in a, especially in the era before we've had really uh, whole-scale vaccination programs or looking at specific populations of, indiv- of cancer patients who have not had uh, uh, vaccination. And we know that statistically, those individuals, if they do catch influenza, have a higher risk of adverse events and, and unfortunately, death from influenza. So we know that the cancer patients directly do have a higher risk of getting uh, uh, very badly ill from influenza if they do catch the disease and have not been vaccinated. My patients also ask me, well, the doctor I'm getting uh, chemotherapy or other treatments uh, how, and, and you tell me that my immune system can be compromised when I get chemo, I mean, do, do I have the ability to mount a response? Is the vaccine going to work in me? And it turns out that when we look at large population studies, and these are studies done in places such as Canada because they have national health care and they can track individuals through the system, and because of national health care we know what people have gotten and where they've gotten the flu vaccine. And studies like that in which you look at large populations show that that regardless of the of where you are in, a cancer treatment uh, a pathway, whether you are a patient on active therapy, patient getting chemotherapy, people, even people who haven't had bone marrow transplants, that vaccines can still work in those individuals, and that's a re- uh, recommendation. Lastly, there's been some fear that individuals who get flu vaccine as a cancer patient may be at higher risk, higher risk of side effects. And again, that has, again, proven not to be true. There was a very small study that gave a hint that might might be so. But again, those large population studies and even a large study done in Boston, uh, sorry, in, in cancer centers like Sloan-Kettering uh, in New York City showed that those individuals do not do not have a higher risk of, of worse side effects. So, Uh, And so there's no impediment for getting the flu vaccine, even if you're on cytotoxic chemotherapy or even immunotherapy for that matter. And lastly, you know, last couple of minutes, I want to say a few words about uh, COVID and the flu vaccine. A very common question is, well, uh, you know, what's a flu vaccine, COVID vaccine, what's the difference? Well, first of all, we, If you've been watching news we don't quite have a COVID vaccine yet. Both flu and COVID-19 are contagious respiratory illnesses but they're caused by different viruses and that's the difference and we do have a vaccine for the influenza one and if you've been watching the news at all you can see that the the development of a vaccine against COVID-19 is a very big endeavor at the present time. People ask me, "What happens if I have COVID uh, uh, infection? Should I should I get the flu vaccine? Again, these are different diseases, and what we say is, if you are actively in the throes of a COVID 19 infection, either by positivity or symptoms, that we uh, tell folks that they uh, should avoid getting uh, a flu vaccine until they have recovered from their symptoms. And here we, we have a recommendation as well that you should be at least 14 days post, at least 14 days after the, the positive test. Um, I'm coming to the end of my time, and there's much more things that I want to talk about than we have time for. But, uh, again, I want to have this part of my talk serve service introduction to, as a setup for those talks uh, by Dr. Uh, Hopkins, Hall, and Fleshman who will come after me. Again, I thank you for your time, and and I will be happy to take uh, any questions uh, at the Q and A session at the end of this uh, uh, at the end of the talks that you're going to hear. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Wong. That was really extraordinary. Covered a lot in a, in a very, I know, a compressed time, but you really did get a lot of important points across. And I know during the Q and A, there'll be more questions for you there to you to address. So thank you so much. Thanks. And our next speaker is Dr. Robert Hopkins. Uh, Dr. Hopkins is professor of internal medicine and pediatrics, director division of general internal medicine, UAMS College of Medicine. And Dr. Hopkins will be addressing concerns about safety of flu shots and the benefits of flu shots in the context of COVID-19. It's my pleasure now to turn the program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hopkins.
3: Thank you, Dr. Mesmer. I'm happy to be here today. And I've got to start off with my, with my opening salvo. My opening recommendation is, and that's that I recommend influenza vaccination for essentially everyone over six months of age. In the context of cancer care, influenza vaccination takes on an even more critical importance than it does for many of my patients and their families. Cancer patients are at increased risk for three primary reasons. Number one, they have repeated interactions in healthcare settings. That means they're around other numbers of people. The more people that you're around, the more that you potentially have exposure to any infectious virus, including influenza. The second is that most of the treatments we use for cancers entail some degree of suppression or beating down the immune system. So immune suppression is a risk for severe influenza. And third, many patients who have cancer also have problems with their immune system related to the cancer. Evidence for that is best in patients who have cancers of the blood-forming units, or what we call hematologic malignancies and myeloma, but there is immune dysfunction in many patients who've got systemic cancers. Now, to turn to the concept of the safety of influenza vaccines, influenza vaccine is extremely safe and should be administered to anybody six months of age and older as long as they haven't had a severe allergic reaction to either a flu vaccine or the components of the influenza vaccine. Now, many people will say, well, I've had side effects. I've had concerns. Well, first I would start with a statement that any intramuscular injection, any injection into the muscle, including that that you get for an influenza vaccine, can cause discomfort and pain at that injection site. And less commonly, you can get some redness and swelling around the site where you've gotten that vaccine. This is similar with influenza vaccine to any other injection. Other than those local reaction phenomena, influenza vaccines have very few safety concerns. In the past, there were concerns about giving influenza vaccines to patients who have allergy to eggs, Advances in our vaccine development over the last couple of decades have resulted in a couple of influenza vaccines, which we can give, that have no egg protein. And these can be given safely to patients, even those that have anaphylaxis to egg and egg products. Further, we have recent studies that show that any influenza vaccine can be given to patients who have milder degrees of egg allergies. Injectable influenza vaccines, as Dr. Wong mentioned, don't contain any live virus. They cannot cause the flu. And it's important that we recognize that influenza vaccines do not interact with any of the medications or cause any issues regarding cancer treatment. Now there is a nasal spray flu vaccine that can be used in young people, but we don't recommend it in cancer patients because it does have an attenuated or a a reduced severity influenza in it, but we're not going to talk about that today since it's not what we recommend for our cancer community. While influenza vaccines may not be quite as effective in patients who are on chemotherapy or radiation, any influenza vaccine that gives you any degree of protection is greater than zero. It's important that any time you give an influenza vaccine, you provide some degree of protection, even if there's not a perfect match between the vaccine variants that are in the virus uh, circulating in your community and what's in the vaccine. Influenza vaccines are most effective if given prior to starting cancer treatments, But when this is not possible, we recommend they be given about a week after chemotherapy. That gives you as much of a benefit from the vaccine as possible. There have been a number of recent analyses of patients who are treated with some of these new immune stimulators called checkpoint inhibitors. Those studies show no interaction or adverse effects when influenza vaccine is given. So we recommend influenza vaccination in patients treated with these novel treatments. There are some patients who are not going to get much benefit from flu vaccine on some specific agents like rituximab, but that doesn't mean that they have increased side effects. It just means that we may not get the greater benefit from the vaccine. Now, as we think about the benefits of flu vaccines in the context of COVID-19, flu vaccines are important to protect us and others in the community from influenza every year. This is even more important in the context of the pandemic that we now have of COVID-19. I think of influenza vaccination as an additional layer of protection added to our current strategy to prevent severe respiratory illness due to COVID. For a population at increased risk, like cancer patients and their families, we need to implement every possible strategy to reduce the risk for infections, which can put our cancer patients at risk for infection, for hospitalization, and unfortunately, even mortality. We know that there's potential for people to be infected with both influenza and COVID, and the concern is that you could have even more severe respiratory illness than either viral infection would cause on its own. We have better tools to prevent this co-infection and its potential complications than we do to treat with co-infection between influenza and COVID. So I would put out to all of you, our winter strategy needs to be vaccinating to prevent influenza in all of our cancer patients, in all of our care teams, in all of our families of cancer patients, in addition to encouraging patients to wear masks, family members to wear masks when around others and outside the home. We need to continue to maintain our six-foot or greater social distancing. We need to wash our hands and use hand sanitizer frequently. And for our cancer community, the last component that many talk about, stay home if you're ill, I would say You may stay home initially, but contact your healthcare provider for advice as soon as possible if you develop respiratory symptoms. We do have some effective antivirals available against influenza and can continue to hope for further developments and treatments for COVID. So we want everyone out here that's on the call, their family members, and all of our care teams to get vaccinated for flu to
1: protect our cancer patients, their families,
3: and our communities.
4: Well,
1: thank you so much, Dr. Hopkins. That was really um, outstanding and just an excellent presentation um, and a lot of excellent information about flu shots and their safety and importance at this time and always. so thank you. I know we'll be questions for you during the q and a Thank you and um, our, our next speaker is Dr. Laura Lee Hall, and Dr. Hall is President Center for Sustainable Health. Quality and Equity, National Minority Quality Forum, and Dr. Hall will be addressing the national, she'll tell you a little bit more about the National Minority Quality Forum's programs and conferences, and also she's going to address why flu vaccine equity has never been more important for people living with cancer. It's really now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hall.
4: Hi. Thanks so much to Cancer Care, and especially Carolyn, Carolyn and Ellen for hosting this program today, and all that you and your colleagues do. I'm really honored to be part of this panel with such great presenters. What I want to share is the work of an action panel group on flu shots and disparities in the time of COVID, pointing our listeners to resources they may find helpful. I'd like to acknowledge Dr. Greg Poland, who chaired this action panel, along with all the experts and stakeholders who contributed to it. Let me also acknowledge my colleague, Naomi Oladivi, our program director, Kellyanne Collins and her staff at Vault Lab, who created our communication resources, and Samantha Pastor, who provided support for the effort. As you heard, I'm president of the Center for Sustainable Healthcare Quality and Equity, SHC, and we are part of the National Minority Quality Forum, (NMQS) started and led by Dr. Gary Puckram these last 20 plus years, and one of the most important voices on health equity in Washington, D.C., SHC is able to use extremely large databases and geomaps that Dr. Puckram has amassed for research, strategic planning, and we are especially focused on provider and community engagement and training. As I alluded to, SHC convened a range of stakeholders and experts to reassess influenza immunization rates by race and ethnicity in light of research and practice improvement activities over the last two years and current circumstances due to the COVID-19 pandemic. This group of nearly 50 stakeholders and multidisciplinary experts, including Dr. Hopkins, had several conclusions. One, that the SHC practice improvement projects we've implemented over the last two seasons, flu seasons, in diverse clinical settings, produced significant positive results. Flu vaccine rates rose 20 to 40 percent. Secondly, however, research, including our own analyses of Medicare data, reveals continuing and even increasing flu vaccine disparities nationwide. And that's largely due to the color of one's skin, if you do the analysis of all the possible explanations. Third, with the COVID-19 pandemic and these ongoing disparities, major efforts are needed to promote flu vaccination in communities of color. Not only is there a matter of trust, but also important health reasons for preventing the flu as much as possible, As you heard Dr. Hopkins say, we want to avoid unnecessary use of an overburdened health system to diagnostically distinguish and treat flu from COVID. So what can be done given these findings? We actually think there's a lot, and our findings or our recommendations were basically an all-hands-on-deck approach. First, primary health care teams, specialists, pharmacists, community healthcare providers, community leaders, patient advocates, all can contribute to closing the gap. It remains critical to train healthcare teams in making a strong recommendation to get a flu shot, and we'll hear some more about that in the next presentation. All types of clinicians are in a position as people who are trusted by patients and those of us in the community to recommend the flu vaccine and if at all possible, provide it to their patients. Given safety concerns in the pandemic, access to the flu vaccine should be adjusted to assure distancing and other strategies to protect patients and staff. And a big part of that this season is the provision of outdoor, drive-through, mobile, community-based flu vaccinations. Perhaps most importantly, we strongly urge clinicians and healthcare systems to engage community leaders, not for a one-time get-out-the-population for flu vaccines, but rather in hearing about local concerns, opportunities, and developing a plan together with the community for providing flu vaccines. It's so critical to build trust in community of color. It's something sorely in need, And that can help us as we move forward into the COVID-19 vaccination efforts and even sustain flu vaccination efforts annually to promote health in communities of color. So what are we doing? We've developed a number of resources and partnered with experts, healthcare systems, and community leaders nationwide to support the enactment of these recommendations. For example, we've been hosting numerous webinars like this one today educating patients, caregivers, diverse specialties of clinicians, and community leaders about the issues and strategies for moving forward. Just last week, we had a webinar on how to implement culturally appropriate community-based vaccinations. We have an online toolkit to support both practice-based improvements in implementing flu vaccines, as well as community engagement efforts, and I'd like to... Um, spell out a URL for you to go and access these tools, shcdrive.org. This includes a training program on making a strong recommendation, as well as a host of other educational materials and templates for activities and practice transformation. We have an entire communications toolkit as well, with draft letters to the editor, emails, tweets, Newsletter text, even sermons that you can customize along with images for sharing. I'm going to give you one more URL: nmqs-shc.org. nmqs-shc.org. The communication tools include culturally sensitive infographics to share with the public and your patients. Practice providing practical information about flu prevention, the flu vaccine, and how flu and COVID relate to one another. And um, this is all free to the public. In closing, I, I thank all of you again for all you do for our nation's health and focusing on this topic today. Please don't hesitate to reach out with questions or requests to me. I'd be glad to put you in contact with the right resources or experts. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hall. That was really outstanding and just wonderful resources. We will so um, at the end of today's program, everyone's going to get an evaluation um, on Survey Monkey, and basically and for those of you who would prefer a paper evaluation will get that as well, but these resources will be given to you so that you'll be able to access this information. Um, So any uh, website or any information that we give out during the call or we think of after the call to give you, you'll be getting it um, after the program as well. So it's a program that keeps on giving to some extent. And also also for those of you who want to listen to it again, it will be available as a podcast as well, so you can listen to the program. Um, If you miss it or you want to hear something over again, um we will give you that information of how to access um, the program as well. Thank you, Dr. Lee, Dr. Hall. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, cancer support services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. Dr. Fleischman will really be addressing communicating with diverse patient populations about the important role of flu vaccines taking your flu shot on schedule or adherence, the increasing role of telemedicine, telehealth appointments with suggestions on how to prepare for these appointments to to increase their benefit to you. It's now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed
0: colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you to all the participants who are on this call. This is an extremely timely time to be discussing the importance of flu vaccine in patients with cancer um, we've just heard about the um, the approach in many diverse communities uh, in the United States and worldwide and uh, getting the message out that flu vaccines are important uh, and uh, both in the uh, during cancer treatment as well as for the The people who, the caregivers who treat cancer, not just at the cancer centers and at the hospitals, but at home, uh, as you heard, is very important. We have heard, and it's been widely publicized, that there are a number of people, both in the United States and in other countries, who are concerned about vaccine safety. Um, they are, are concerned that the vaccines may be less safe or have attributed side effects to them uh, that they have heard about or read about, um, and often they have heard about them and read about them from sources that uh, do not have uh, uh, confirmed facts to back them up. It, it's important to get information from um, from trusted sources, sources that have a track record in providing um, unbiased uh, information rather than information to prove a point. Um, the an example of this would be the um, timing of the flu shots, uh, the flu vaccine during treatment. Um, you've heard from the previous speakers about the importance of taking the vaccine uh, during cancer treatment, uh, and even some reliable sources, as the American Cancer Society, actually. does on their website provide some guidance about when to take the vaccine during treatment. Um, It's very general, and the most important thing is for you to speak with your treatment team directly. The information on the website um, really pertains to people taking some types of chemotherapy, but it doesn't account for people who who just had surgery or who are getting um, chemotherapy and radiation therapy simultaneously or perhaps um, taking what we call neoadjuvant or chemotherapy and radiation therapy before their surgery and then having surgery. Um, so it's, it's important to speak with your own provider and find out exactly what time. And they may have a specific time, um, even an example of... of uh, of the importance of timing would be in, in patients who are getting bone marrow transplants. So, speak with your healthcare team, um, and even if um, you, you read things online, make sure that it pertains to you. The important thing is to get the flu shot, and it can't be said enough times. That uh, the injectable flu shot is the way to go, um, even for people who really dislike injections. Um, during the middle of uh, cancer cancer treatment, the nasal uh, vaccines are just not the right thing to take. And um, again, confirm that with your health your your cancer treatment team. They will have the most up to date information. Getting the the shot is extremely important. Um, different than in in most times, um, many of these discussions may be happening on telehealth visits. Um, Although I don't know how to get a vaccination by telehealth, maybe somebody does, but I haven't seen that yet. The discussion or the evaluation visit to see about um, uh, the right time to get a flu shot may be happening on telehealth. So it's just important to make sure that, um, to get the most out of the telehealth visit. Many of us providers are new to telehealth too. Um, we have learned very quickly um, how to uh, set up a, uh, and use systems that we were unf- some of us were unfamiliar with before and how to uh, make a telehealth visit as close to an in-person visit as we possibly can in a communication of information as well as finding out um, symptoms and some signs that can easily be checked on telehealth. Things that require hands-on physical exam obviously cannot, but we can come close in a lot of things. So um, the discussion about the flu vaccine may actually start in a telehealth visit. So the important things to think about are uh, to make sure that if a patient and or their caregivers, family members, friends who are helping out. Um, make sure everybody knows when the telehealth uh, visit is scheduled uh, with the provider. Um, making sure that there's a good, quiet place with a computer that has access to the Internet, that has decent lighting um, and that people are familiar with the exact way to sign on to the telehealth visit. Many of them are quite simple. Some people are frightened that it is too complicated, but often it is just clicking on um, uh, some directions that you receive in an email um, to, to connect in, and the rest is not not your responsibility. The rest is controlled by the provider and the system, which is called the platform. Um, but making sure you know how to get on um, and having a list of questions ready. We always advise that in-person person visits and it's a bit more daunting when you're not in the room, it throws, throws the rhythm off. So uh, make, make, make sure you have your questions lined up in advance, but a discussion about the need for um, treatments such as flu shots can certainly happen on um, telehealth rather than getting the vaccination itself. So uh, as everything else during the times of the COVID pandemic, this question is ever more important as we are um, on the cusp of um, having to have the same discussion about COVID vaccinations. But for now, um, since a COVID vaccination may be on the horizon but not presently uh, approved, We need to really have a good system to um, communicate the best information possible, including the timing and the um, efficacy, the effectiveness of flu shots. So a lot of that information can then be um, compared and contrasted easily when we're facing the same decision about a COVID vaccination. So I'll stop here and turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman.
1: Very informative and incredibly helpful in terms of going into some more of the detail and also stressing that some of these discussions about flu shots will start with your telehealth visit with your doctor. Um, And so be sure to have those questions prepared and also to have equipment and everything that you need um, so that you can have a very effective. And also you could have a caregiver with you if you wanted to or a family member. It's really helpful as well, as Dr. Fleischman said. So thank you, Dr. Fleischman. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And um, I just want to say a few words about Cancer Care Services. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm an oncology social worker and I'm Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. And I'm going to be discussing the free programs and services that you can access from Cancer Care. So Cancer Care is Primarily for many people, accessible by calling our HOPE line, 800-813-4673, and you'll be getting that number, again, um, in our follow-up emails to you um, in terms of the SurveyMonkey. And we also, for those of you who prefer the web or for international participants, um, our website is www.cancercare.org, and, again, you'll get that information as well. And so what are the services we provide? They're all free, and they're all provided by oncology social workers. And so, for people who call on the telephone, one of our oncology social workers picks up the phone and we'll start talking with you right away in terms of what your questions and concerns are. And we'll be trying to help address them. And some common questions that come in have to do with sometimes um, requesting practical and financial assistance. And so, we do have both Cancer Care funds for practical and financial assistance, and we also have um, a Cancer co Foundation that helps with some of the costs of some of your um, chemotherapy uh, agents and some other products that you may be taking that are quite costly, and so those funds are a bit more um, extensive. And then we also um, have a new case management program that we've set up in which our social workers will help you um, with any issues that you may have in your community that you want to get resources from, we will help to get you connected. If we don't have those services, we will be sure to connect you. We won't just give you a phone number um, or a name. We will actually walk you there, take you. We won't actually physically walk you there. We will go with you um, electronically or somehow to be sure you're connected and follow up with you to be sure you do get the services you need. And if you don't, then we'll find something else for you. So we don't want you to feel that it's just – we're going to give you a bunch of places to call. That is not what we do. We actually do follow up very closely with you. And we also offer a number of online support groups, and those are invaluable to many of you throughout the country um, because actually um, they're on often on cancer-specific online support groups or they're on online support groups for younger adults or older adults or caregivers, um, so lots of different um, issues. And Again, those are all – you can sign up on our website, um, and um, those are groups that are very popular as well. We also run all of these education workshops. Of course, we have many of these programs coming up, quite a few actually. Um, And we also have – um, a number of um, publications that are available for all of you. And, of course, our website is full of information as well. So that's a thumbnail sketch of all of our services or some of them. And you can take advantage of as many of them as you need or want. Um, so many people call for one thing and then decide they want to get something else as well or may call back another time. So that's all. Or visit our website again. It's all possible. Now, before we take a Q&A, I want to, again, ask you just a, f- a few uh, final questions about the program, and so um, in terms of, um, so I'm going to start, This just, for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to see the questions, and you'll be able to say yes and no again. So as a result of this workshop, I have a better understanding of the importance of flu vaccines for people living with cancer. And again, it's either yes or no. And then the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I know the benefits of flu shots in the context of COVID-19. And, again, it's yes or no. then the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I know why the flu vaccine equity has never been more important for people living with cancer, yes or no. And then the last question is, as a result of this workshop, I understand the importance of taking my flu shot on schedule. Again, yes or no. Okay. I want to thank you all for um, participating in this. It's really helpful to us um, to have a better understanding of what you're learning from these programs. And and so now we're going to um, have a question and answer period I'm going to ask. Uh, Sonia, to bring all of our speakers on board, and want to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And so Sonia will explain to you how to queue up for questions, and we'll let the questions begin. Sonia?
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star than one on your touch telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to move yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit a question by clicking ask a question. And our first question comes from Emil S. Your line is now open.
4: Good afternoon, everybody. Um, first of all, if Dr. Hall can repeat the email addresses because they didn't come out too clearly. And my question is my doctor will not give the flu vaccine until the beginning of October. He believes later is better. Is he right and why? If I take it later, it will see me through the entire flu season around the beginning of June. Um, also, uh, I take the senior vaccine because I'm 69. Uh, does it matter if you take the regular vaccine or the senior vaccine? Is the senior vaccine more of the dose, or does it cover more of the different strains of the flu that season?
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Emil, for that question. Um, and um, Dr. Hopkins, can you address the question um, that Emil has about the flu vaccines themselves?
3: Certainly. Well, Emil, there are actually two different senior flu vaccines. One is a vaccine that has higher doses of those proteins that uh, uh, we spoke about earlier in the presentation, and that way it gives you a higher antibody response and better protection against developing flu. The other one is a vaccine that has the same strains in it, but it also has a protein called an adjuvant that increases your immune system's response and thus provide you better protection in older adults. I don't tend to wait quite as long as your doctor does, waiting until October. I tend to start vaccinating my adult patients uh, uh, in September, but I think if you go much before September, you're probably starting a little too early, and I worry about later part of the season having protection from the vaccine.
1: Excellent and um dr hall could you address the um the website um that um emil has asked for
4: sure and i hope uh, it's clearer for you the first is s h c drive so i'll spell it out S H C D R I V E dot org and the second one is nmqs-shc.org, the initials for our organization.
1: Excellent, and we'll be sending that out to everybody as well. But um, excellent resource for everybody. Thank you. Okay. And does anyone else want to add to Dr. Hopkins' answer about the um, the, um, the vaccine or? Okay. Question. Okay. And um, another question for Dr. Hopkins What is the name of a flu vaccination for those who have an allergic reaction to eggs and where, where are they available? The the vaccine that's specifically
3: designed for those allergic to eggs is called Flu Block uh, and it uh, is available for many healthcare providers uh, or many pharmacies. Remember that many pharmacies are able to vaccinate adults and children down to age 13 um so that may be another resource for people to go to get their flu vaccine.
1: Excellent, thank you. And a question for uh Dr. um thank you for that. And a question for Dr. Wong. Why do I have to get a flu shot if I will continue to social distance for COVID-19 and the flu season?
2: That's a great question and uh, because those are two Different ways of uh, of assuring ourselves that uh, you know we're going to be fully as as fully protected as we can from uh, getting the flu. Uh, These are two different strategies to to do so. Um, Social distancing is a fantastic way of doing it, but it's not perfect. And we know in the everyday hurly burly of just of just being around people that uh, uh, you know you cannot always have that. Uh, six foot radius around us. It is it is just yet another strategy to minimize a chance of of uh, being afflicted by the flu.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Any other comments about that?
3: Yeah. Can I can I add to that? Yes. Uh, when yes. I when I think about preventing COVID and preventing flu, I think about standing in front of a of a sheet of Swiss cheese. Each of our strategies has holes in it. If you lay layer one on top of another strategy, you block more of those holes, and every step that you add adds another layer of protection in trying to reduce your likelihood of an infection. So think of all of these strategies from masks, to hand washing, to social distancing, to flu vaccines as additional layers of trying to protect you and your loved ones. Dr.
2: Hopkins, I just love that analogy. I'm using it.
1: Please. <laughs> That's an excellent analogy, actually, for a lot of things. That's really fantastic. Thank you.
0: Totally agree.
1: We're all going to remember that Swiss cheese picture when we're thinking of what we're doing. That's a really good idea. That's
3: right. Just don't bite a hole out of the cheese, okay? (laughs)
2: Carolyn, can I say okay. one thing? I was yes, please. The previous question about the timing of the flu vaccine. My, I, I know this is an international call, and some of my family's in Canada as well, and sometimes it just has to do with uh, getting flu vaccine distributed out to physicians. And in some offices, uh, uh, you know, just uh, by where they are and by distribution, just gets it a bit later. Uh, it's not perfect system, but uh, unfortunately, it's a reality sometimes.
1: Oh, that's a very good point, and that is actually true for many doctors, even um, perhaps private doctor's offices in the United States. Right. Some have them, some don't. You know, it's, um, we, we do have, I think, was mentioned – well, actually, this is a question, so I, I'll give it to Dr. This was, okay, someone came This is a question that came in, so I'll give this one to Dr. Fleischman. Where can I find a place to get a flu shot without visiting a medical clinic? So if you could talk of all the places that people can go to um, that someone can get a flu
0: shot, which um, – For Dr. Leishman. Sure. So, uh, although it varies state by state, uh, in many states pharmacists have been uh, trained and have their uh, scope of practice and their licenses expanded to give uh, many vaccinations, including flu shots. So um I uh know that many of my family members and friends have actually gone to, into the pharmacy um, in the larger chains uh, it's necessary to actually schedule an appointment uh, but it's been easy quick, and I, I I guess the perception is that those are less scary as far as um, distancing and getting uh a flu shot in a very easy way without a lot of other people who may be ill around. So I, I think that's one place. Um, I would think that maybe um, county and state health departments may be as scary as hospitals to many people. Although uh, with social distancing and all of the universal precautions, uh, that may be perception rather than reality. Um, if you. And they may be a source of information about where else in your area you can get a flu shot without um, having to go to a larger medical facility. And uh, just in response to the previous question, in the practice where I work, our flu shots in California, our flu shots aren't delivered until the middle of October. And uh, we have tried to um, work on that. The bills are paid. We know that that's not the question. But the distribution is just such in this area that the shots only come in, in the middle of October, and many people start asking for them in September.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and so this is an interesting question um, of Dr. Hopkins. Can you still get the flu if you have a flu shot?
3: Yes, unfortunately, that can happen. There are, there are a couple of situations to, to remember. The flu vaccines that we use now, essentially all of them protect us from four fl- strains of influenza based on what happened in the southern hemisphere in the previous flu season if there happens to be a not a great match between the vaccine virus and what's circulating, you can get breakthrough infection. It's also possible that uh, your body didn't immune, didn't respond well to the vaccine or you got the flu too soon after the vaccine for the vaccine to work. The thing to remember, though, is if you've gotten the flu shot, generally if you develop flu, it tends to be a less severe illness. So don't step away and say, I'm not going to get the flu vaccine because it's not perfect. You know, we all should remember that old adage, perfection is the enemy of the good. Um, so, uh, yes, flu vaccines protect you against most influenza, but they're not 100% perfect, and we're working on research to make them better.
1: Excellent. Good point. Excellent. Thank you. And um, another question Um um uh, f- uh for Dr. Wong why do i have to get a different flu shot each year doesn't immunity carry over
2: so, well i think Dr. Hopkins alluded to this the uh, you know uh, the reality is that the flu vaccine changes um and it can change enough that your body's immune system even even if it has immunity to uh, the flu vaccine you got the previous year would not uh, recognize uh, you know the, the most current strain. That's why it's always a bit of a race, and I salute the pharmaceutical vaccine industry for being able to to uh, look at what the projected um, uh, viruses might be in a year, in the months ahead, and to manufacture a vaccine just in time for use in in our country and during our flu season. Dr. Hopkins alluded to it because you know the other he- hemisphere has their summer w- when we have our winters, and vice versa. And so by looking at what they, uh, the prevalence strains in their particular environment, we can sort of project forward. So that's a long way of saying because uh, the flu is different year to year. The flu virus is different year to year.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Thanks. And uh, a question um, for, um, for Dr. Fleischman. How can you tell the difference between the coronavirus and, and the flu?
0: Well, there's a lot of overlap there um in general, uh, both uh, can start with respiratory symptoms. Both can give you um, a sense of tiredness and achiness uh, as many other viral uh, situations can. I think one of the things we've learned, and we're all, we all learned rather quickly at uh, the start of uh, calendar year of 2020 about this, is that Um, people say that they lose their sense of taste and sense of smell uh, with COVID when that doesn't happen with the flu. So um, if that's happening, that uh, is certainly a sign that you need to uh, bring to your provider's care. Your doctor and nurse practitioner needs to know that that's been part of the way you're feeling from the time that you felt sick.
1: Excellent. And, um, And then this, um, for Dr. Hopkins, what is the efficacy of this year's flu shot? How do we
3: know yet? We we're really too early to know. Uh, We're just starting to see influenza illness popping up in certain areas of the country at this point, and we really won't have a good idea about the efficacy of this year's vaccine until uh, early in 2021. Last year's flu vaccine, the quoted efficacy from the CDC was around 40 to 45 percent, but that's uh, using a very strict definition. And we get additional benefits in reduction in severe illness with the vaccine that don't show up in those numbers.
1: Excellent. Okay. Um, and um, so we we do have to kind of, um, now here's a question. As um, so we actually just have to give us some time before we, we actually know this. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. That's correct. We've got to have enough disease and people that have been uh, and, and people vaccinated to know how effective it is.
1: And with a question now from another participant. These are really good questions. I have to say it's a very great audience today and great speakers as well. I'm concerned with mercury and flu shot. How do I avoid it, um, um, uh, Doctor um, Wong? Do you want to try that one?
2: Uh, I think I want to make a punt to Dr. Hopkins, who, who may know okay. the answer better than I would sure. on this
1: one. Okay. Yeah. Dr. Hopkins?
3: Well, first, uh, the, um, there, there is not uh, any mercury in most flu vaccines that are out there. The only flu vaccines that have even the tiniest trace of mercury are flu vaccines that are in multi-dose vials, and almost all of the flu vaccine that we use now comes in single-dose syringes. In those doses of, uh, of vaccine that do have a tiny amount of the, the drug thimerosal in it, um, the amount of that is, is much, much less than you would get eating uh, fatty fish uh, like tuna or salmon or that kind of thing. So I don't know that I would be particularly concerned about the amount of mercury that you're going to get from flu vaccines, but single-dose vials don't have the thimerosal in them.
1: Excellent. Well, this has been very comprehensive, I I must say. Um, Doctor Hall, did you want to add anything to this um, to our discussion today, or in terms of the importance of flu shots?
3: Well, I just think we need to, to again remember that the one active way that we have to protect ourselves from flu, beyond the passive things like wearing masks, social distancing, washing our hands, is to get vaccinated. To encourage our caregivers to get vaccinated and to ask your health care providers. We want all of our health care providers vaccinated also. We want to try to reduce disease as much as possible to protect our patients and help them get through their cancer.
1: Excellent. Does anyone else want to add to that? Any other takeaways, Mindy? Anyone else?
0: What yes, I, I would. We heard on this call about um, uh, the un- un- our underserved neighbors not getting flu shots Let's all be ambassadors and make sure that everybody gets flu shot. Mm. Excellent I, I, I
2: remind,
0: point.
2: I remind folks that benefit is not just to yourself, and I think all the other speakers alluded to it, but I want to emphasize the fact that it's also helping your fellow man, your fellow woman, and and uh, and your family members. And for myself, who has an elderly mother, I, I think it's very important to to myself, uh, uh, you know, minimize the risk to her and uh, and as a healthcare uh, provider to minimize the risk to my patients in a c- cancer community who may be more at risk of adverse events than the normal population so it's an act not just to yourself but of uh but of help to the people around you
1: excellent well i have to say this has been an extraordinary call um wonderful speakers today, wonderful participants, really great questions. Um I know there are more questions in queue, um and uh but we said this would be an hour program so that um I want to uh I I am I'm hoping that you've all learned a lot um from from today's program and uh and a lot of things that you can implement yourselves or tell a friend about this or I'll, you know listen and and also if you if you know someone who hasn 't heard the program and we think it would be helpful to them in making their decision um we'll be sending you information about the um, replay of this on the podcast um and most importantly as we and so i want to thank our speakers who are phenomenal I want to thank our participants who are wonderful and um I also want to remind all of you that in concluding this program, our preferences that that I know that it's going to be tempting for many people to feel alone, just with social distancing, with all the messages of getting together with a lot of family and friends, and all you know. Um, in in your own home, you really do have to talk to them on the phone or. Zoom calls or all those other things, but nevertheless, people are there. But nevertheless, people often do feel more alone. So it's normal to feel alone. That is true. But when you are feeling alone, recognize that there are a lot of resources out there for you to call, cancer care being one of them, but there are many of them. And you'll, when you get the Survey Monkey, you'll be getting a listing of other resources as well, all of which are available um, for you to speak to people when you're concerned, when you have a, and of course your healthcare team. We never want to sidestep your healthcare team. So all the information you receive today, please take it back to your healthcare team, and discuss it with them as well. Very important that they are involved in your decision making and that you see them as a great resource for all of you. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to remind you all that we actually do have a program. Um, next Monday on guidelines in terms of uh, COVID-19, which might be of interest to some of you on this call today since we talked about COVID-19 a bit today, but that will be totally on COVID-19. So um, if you haven't already signed up for that program, you may be interested as well. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.